guess you ain't from around here. Yeah, I guess you ain't from around here. Yeah, look at what we did in the past year. Yeah, a lot of green like a pasture, a lot of busted like a pastor. Yeah, enjoy it while I'm still here. I've been on the up and disappeared like the rapture. No mad raps in the cheap shirt. I'm just shopping in my Sears. I ain't no soothsayer, just a truth seeker, booth tweaker. Might just make a meal while I'm getting meeker. Might just make a meal while I'm getting meeker. Do I sound clear? Can you hear the soothing timbre in your ear? Look at what we did in the past year. Yeah, look at what we did. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Ebbs and Flow. That's Esoteric Bible Study for Love of Wisdom. Today, I have another. We have another special guest, uh, Indy Sage. How you doing, Indy? Doing well. Glad to be on the show. Yeah. What's happened, Danny? Dan, Indy Sage go? here. Uh, you guys might know him right. from Sunday Slow Burns or from the podcast. Uh, also with us is Nomad. What's up, Nomad? Greetings. Good to be here again. Excited to have another guest. And I'm excited to dig into Genesis with someone who's very familiar with all of these ancient mythologies. So looking forward to it. Yeah, it's cool. I know that Indy's a pretty spiritual person, so it's going to be interesting to see his like kind of take on this stuff too. Um, and we have morgan in the house hello morgan how's it going excellent so well how, how are you guys doing doing well oh there she is she was gone for a minute so i was messing with her um and yeah so back on the show morgan too and so today we're gonna get into the second half of genesis chapter nine but first when we have a new guest on the show we always ask them, what is like your religious background? What do you believe in? Uh, where, where do you where do you stand on religion, spirituality, and all that stuff? Indy, so take it away. Cool. Um, personally, I my foundation is ancient philosophical Taoism, as you know, embracing the mystery of things. And so, in Taoism, we say that the Tao is the cause behind all of the manifestations that we see in the world. It's the unseen cause. And so it's not speculated as to what that cause looks like. It's said that the cause has no face or tail and it's can create innumerable interpretations and it has that potential. So people could all see the same thing and can, and could explain it all completely differently. And the Tao enables that that action. But I also am an eclectic mystic, and I follow Hermeticism and a little Kabbalah. Um, I've studied all the world religions, and I have a minor in philosophy, master's in psychology. Is what I'm working on. I have my bachelor's completed. And uh, let's see. I also, um, you know, I started off as a Christian when I was young. I was kicked out of church um, as a blasphemer and heretic uh, when I was like seven or eight years old. Um, when <laughs> I told them that God sounds like a devil and uh, he sounds very angry and wrathful and not a very good role model for men. And I was confused that Jesus didn't have a family and show men how to treat women and children. And so they said, you need to get out of here. And but... 
I had a falling out with Christianity, but I've recently, um, in college, like within the last 15 to 20 years, had a, a resurgence of Christianity in my life. I went back and I realized I'm pretty close-minded. I consider myself open-minded because I explored Eastern mysticism and wisdom, but I was close to my own people. And so I started to go back and I eventually started to learn how to lay hands with some evangelical priests and stuff. And now I've been able to lay hands and and uh, gotten a Reiki attunement and to help people with uh, spiritual healing and I'm very involved in mysticism. Excellent. Thank you. So, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, PK just texted me. He wants to know if there's room for one more. What do you guys think? Very philosophical. Yeah, answer. let's go. Okay. <laughs> I'll send them the link. Do you hear me, Andy? Yes, you sound good. No, I said very philosophical answer of you. Oh, thank you. Extremely, extremely well said. We'll say I'm like an onion. There's just so many layers. Obviously, <laughs> but it was extremely philosophical. I adored it. Yes. Andy, have you seen them using Tao as like a common terminology in the crypto world? I think it stands for like decentralized autonomous organization or something like that. Like does crypt- that or like crypto like currency? Like cri- yeah, like cryptocurrency. I'm just curious if like that um those words actually correspond with the belief in any way. Like decentralized autonomous organization. Does yeah, that like resonate? That's like the concept of Lee in Taoism, which is organic order. It can never be fully understood. It's beyond comprehension. But it's a natural process of uh, order that goes on in the scene. It's something that mankind's mind can never hope to define or understand. But it's something that we can definitely identify with. And it has a certain aesthetic to it and sense of order that we recognize. They say in Taoism that we can always recognize things, but there's certain things we can't necessarily understand. But I don't follow cryptocurrency as well as I want to yet. I'm starting to get more interested in it. And as I come across it more, I'll try to see what I can get off. Oh, of yeah. It was more of just the those as you were sort of explaining Taoism, that's what came to mind for me. And I think that those words kind of they probably chose that because they felt like the ideals matched what they were trying to achieve. Yes. I feel that Taoism is a kind of religion where it doesn't rule out anything. It's trying to involve everyone in the center, like all spiritualities unite in the center it's kind of a thing like that where it it allows all different belief systems to come together and find like a common truth with one another. So it's decentralized in that aspect right. and integrating. Right. Cool. Yeah. Morgan. I was just going to say that's funny because uh, like it's AI trying to act like natural law. Philosophical. It's hilarious. Right. Like what? And you know they named it on purpose. Like you know that's why they named it. And like it's just hilarious to watch this in real time play out. So thank you for pointing that out. You always point that out. Thank you. Thank you, no man. Yeah. yeah. Um well we are kind of waiting for PK to jump in. Um but I'm sure he can jump in wherever we're at and we can fill him in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is my screen sharing right now or no? 
I don't think so. How about now? There it is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Yo. Man, all this stuff is so complicated. Anyways, here we go. Bible Hub. And I think I'm in the King James version. So if you guys want to add anything from your versions, please feel free. Uh, but last time we left off, uh, we were talking about the covenant of the rainbow. And so today we're getting into Noah's sons, Noah's shame and Canaan's curse, and Shem's blessing and Noah's death. So I'm going to read all of that together, and then we can uh, we can have dialogue. So here we go. Uh, chapter 9, verse 18, Noah's sons. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah. And of them was the whole earth overspread. Noah's shame and Canaan's curse. And Noah began to be a husbandman. And he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both of their shoulders and went in backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backwards, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. Shem's blessing and Noah's death. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, God of Shem, and Canal shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Shepeth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Anybody want to jump in? No, man. I don't really have anything else to add that we didn't talk about from last week. All right. Well, <clears throat> so I, I did. will. I, I did. I could. Oh. Go for it. I could mention here. Um, are you guys familiar with the story that people lived for 900 years on average until the times of Noah and his sons after the flood? Yes. Mm -hmm. And Noah was sort of uh, also known as the immortal man or Ishnapishtim. Uh, in this epic of Gilgamesh, but not pitched him. Yeah, yeah. So, um, we were kind of discussing that a little bit last week about how that he he was sort of one of the last people that was probably living to that age, and that's why he was maybe known as the immortal man. Um, so yes, yeah. And so I said that they because people started to eat uh, meat and dairy uh, during times of famine after the flood that are longevity severely declined after that but it was hmm. supposed to only be eight and never uh during famine times interesting 
That's one of the are you, are you People vegetarian? always tell me I look super young, so that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was because you're Asian. Uh, <laughs> Caucasian, Not that right? I can tell. You're Caucasian, right? Yeah, Adna Pishnam, our Zia Sudra. Andy, are you vegetarian? Zoroaster, man. He's Zoroaster. African, European, Native American. No, vegetarian or vegan. (laughs) I'm a a pescatarian. What does that mean? I eat fish and vegetables. Fish and vegetables? Fruit Fruit and seeds and nuts. How old are you, 83? 40. (laughs) (laughs) It's not working. People thought I was, in my, I was in my 20s, but. Uh, how old are I you, no man? Like 28? I just turned 30. Okay. There we go. All right. Well, you the... look like a baby. Oh yeah, I had like this 20 year old come up to me on the street the other day, <laughs> like asking me if I had cannabis. And then we were like, we we're just talking and. He's like, wait, how old are you? I was like, I'm 30. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm gonna leave. <laughs> He's probably like 16. Oh yeah. He was like below 20. I What's forget exactly He's in his teens. Are you, you a vegetarian? Look like that. I thought you were uh, yeah, I've been vegan for the last seven years. Oh, cool. Yeah. Right on, man. Yeah, that and I've felt that. I've felt better for sure. Um, but you know, diet could be very personal. Who knows? You know, everyone could react differently. But for me, it's been a very positive experience. Have you had issues with anemia? No, that's good. Do you use an iron skillet or just eat a lot of uh, iron? Somehow, uh, we we do use an iron skillet. Yeah. Oh, yep. That's the answer to avoid. Yeah. Anemia, supposedly. My brother's been vegan for 20 years and like we have to cook around him, you know, like every holiday, no matter what. But um, he literally will if he eats like one potato chip that has like barbecue flavor on it, he will get violently ill. I'm talking about like you won't see him for the rest of the night because he'll be puking. That's how sick he gets from barbecue flavoring. Hey, what's up, PK? Thanks for joining us again, man. What's up, everyone? Thanks for having me again. I got I got mm-hmm. a mic now, so hopefully it's not Ooh. too hot. Yeah, you sound that great. sounds good. Sweet. Uh, did you hear? Uh, did you hear the verses? I didn't see when you came in. I I didn't, but I read. I read. Uh, you're on ten, right? Is it Genesis ten? uh we're yeah doing- we're on 10 we're just sort of recapping nine a yeah, little bit yeah. about what we talked about last week uh just going over it a little bit more and then we'll probably yeah. jump into 10 yeah i do was- want to talk about the curse i do too so, then, um because <clears throat> in my bible it says something different it says a curse and what you read said cursed and i think Perhaps there could be a difference in, but probably not. You know, it could be just like a translation thing. But I brought up my old uh, dictionary and uh, the name for it is anathema, which um, is literally not even used until after the Greeks had, um, you know, a hold of this text. So 
there's that. It means cherim, a thing devoted to God, whether for his service or as the sacrifices, a votif, offering or a gift for its destruction, as an idol or as a city. Later, it acquired the more general meaning of uh, the disfavor of Jehovah. This is the meaning in the New Testament. It is used, um, announced, or pronounced acts, curse themselves with a curse. The object on which the curse is laid is accursed. Um, so yeah, all of which, um, AV, which means, okay, so there's a passive voice and then an active voice. Okay. So all of these are in the active voice, um, rendered by a curse, except where it is used, where the apostle declares in the strongest manner that the gospel he preached was the one and only way to salvation and that the preacher and that uh, to preach another was to nullify the death of Christ. So if you're wondering what cursed means or like a cursed means, that's what it is. So did you say cherim? Like see Haram like cherim? Like happy. Yeah. Like C-H-E-R-E-E-M, not I-M. It's E-M. And that's a difference too. That makes a huge difference. Cherem. Okay, so I was thinking of like Harem Abif, like C H Yeah I R A M. Like the uh the figure of Freemasonry that's said to have been like the the one that created the Temple of Solomon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, isn't Canaan where we get the first city in his lineage? Well, hey. yeah. yeah. So here you have to remember the gods that we're talking to still, right? Are we still talking to these pagan, like old Elohim right now? Well, think about it. He just mentioned the Freemasons and we're tracking it back to the <laughs> first city. And the, literally they built our society. I mean, you, it's, you can't go to a town in a country and not find a, <laughs> a Freemason sign. I, I mean, I, I've seen them everywhere around the world. So oh my it is God. They interesting meet- to me that there's still sort of that lineage perhaps me every smash. other thursday yeah. down the street like they have a sign that's like hey every other thursday come on in 7 p.m like for real old as dirt in front of god and everybody it's just sitting there yep um and also anyway so, so you're telling me and this is what i've also brought up to daniel a lot that maybe hold on i'm not done with my what i was saying ahead, to nomad you're telling me that, and literally, because I have said this, that like this may be through the Bible until whenever the Bible lens that we go through um, most of the time is through the lens of um, maybe like what not to do, like even the things that we practice to this day maybe yeah are you asking if the bible i mean i think the bible is littered with <laughs> examples of what not to do obviously but you know what i mean you know how like we have to have idols to follow and we follow what these people are doing yet maybe they're trying to tell us not to do it yeah well, like- i think that's for you to decide I'm asking. I am asking. Do you think that maybe 
more than most of this could possibly be written in that type of lens. Uh, in this particular story? Okay, I get you. I get you, Nomad. In this particular story, I agree with you. In the Old Testament, they say to do a lot of things that we shouldn't do now, according to the New Testament, like sacrifice an animal or your firstborn son. Yeah. Also mentioned how we're not supposed to eat meat or dairy unless it's times of famine. But yet, people tend to eat like a leg of lamb for Christmas and stuff like that. So there's a big contradiction there between what they're saying we should be doing and the rights of the holidays of this religion. Yeah, I mean, We're Jesus said, that- pay attention not to the things of old, for I am doing a new thing. So I think a lot of the Old Testament is essentially the old way of doing things before we had the Holy Spirit upgrade. Mm-hmm. He was quite the rebel. Indeed. It, all the Even the like most spiritual Their people didn't resonate rebel. with him because... They're like the Essenes, they were they were separatists, right? So they were about being very clean and separating themselves from the the society and the culture where Jesus was with the drunkards. He was with the normal people just being, you know, teaching them how to treat each other, to love your enemies. Uh, And so even like the most spiritual people and then the Pharisees who were all about the law, you have to you have to meet every single law. They hated him because he was saying, no, you need to have faith and grace with each other. And it was a very different mentality. So he was really a rebel to everybody. Wow. The very first rebel, actually, without Jesus, I mean, we wouldn't have like, because the ripple effect, you know, like there's a time and a place where that is like actually necessary. Like he is the actual first rebel. But I did read somewhere in the Torah, because when we're reading the Old Testament, I like to like read from the old stuff, mm-hmm. that um, they were keeping these bloodlines, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, separate. And like God knew what was going on. So he knew that uh, Ham's family would be Canaan. But, um, and that... One would be the tent maker, one would be the tent liver, and one would be the meanest slave, right? So, um, like, why? I, my, I guess my question is, it w- I don't know. If you, why were they trying to keep these bloodlines so clean then if Jesus came from and lived with the drunkards? Well, I'm not so sure that all of that correlates like again for me i'm still trying to figure out if all of these entities that we ascribe to being sort of the same or the same family or fruit as jesus was i don't think that we've necessarily got that all accurate and and as the more i do research on like the elohim and jehovah and this they have they have been sort of connected to to christ but i don't really see a lot of evidence for him like claiming these specific other entities right he talked about the father which is very sort of generic but i look at that as like the most high and so when i look at the fruit of what the most high is in my opinion that source that's what's left when i get rid of all the programming that i've been taught and what's left for me is the fruit of the spirit it's exactly what christ preached it's love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control And so I don't see a lot of those attributes in the Old Testament stories, right? And so I think it is possible that a lot of these stories are are interactions with the fallen angels um, that are claiming to be God. Yeah. 
But I think a lot of people still possibly maybe know that and don't care and like for their cause or their purpose or whatever that purpose might be for them to know what they're doing. Or maybe they are following something and know it. I don't know. It's like, you know, like, like, do they know what they're doing or maybe not know? I, I'm not uh, sure. Like, that's why I mean, I think a lot trying of people to iron it all out have been sort of, yeah, I think that connection has been made. And I think I think in a lot of ways, Jesus didn't necessarily like he because he, he he led by asking questions. Right. And so I don't think he ever really like claims to be a part of like that old style of doing things. But he like let people sort of like, hey, if this is what you believe and whatever, like, OK, but like he never came out and like said that that was uh, related to him, if that makes sense. And so I think there's been a lot of effort to try to connect all these stories to Christ, even if they weren't actually meant to be connected with Christ, if that makes sense. So I think a lot of people yeah. have sort of held on to that idea without digging into the etymology of these stories and these words and seeing that. Okay, this is like a plural God, and this term was used specifically in Sumerian language and in Aramaic. Why are we, you know, it's like there's all these nuances that go into it that if you're just kind of going to church once a week, listening to someone else talk, you're not really going to pick up on, right? Yeah. Well, I like think- accursed is Greek. It, it wasn't, it was originally Greek, then translated into Hebrew. So that means that was added into there afterwards. Does that make sense? Supposedly. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of it. It was it was Hebrew, and it was what was the language before Hebrew? Uh, Phoenician, Aramaic. Coptic, Phoenician. Yeah, yeah. So there there was that whole lineage of language, and then it was translated into Greek, so that it could be more widely adapted. And um, that's where you probably get a lot of different translations for things because the Hebrew language was very limited. They didn't have a lot of the specifics that Greek does. They really break down a lot and they get very specific in a lot of things. And so, yeah, there's a lot of room for interpretation when that happens. But at the same time, Hebrew is also very complex in the sense that each. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Doesn't meanings. Yeah. I don't want to. I'm not trying to like bash on it because it is very sacred. And the, the way that it aligns with everything is very unique. Um, but at the same time, because of that simplicity, it's like every like every letter and word is associated with a number, right? And so there's all of these like codes within it. Uh, and then the Greek came along, and I think they just added a lot of different words for things, and sort of in a way like made a new world, right? Because when you start making up new language, it's like so to say if it's for better or for worse, I'm not saying. I'm just pointing out that there's a difference between those languages, like a a dramatic difference, in my opinion. I think so too. I know in Hebrew, they uh, each word, each letter has an allegory or a story to it. In Greek, I right. know that the symbols represent a uh, principle in science, like uh, in statistics. Like each of the different symbols has a mathematical meaning. Mm. Um, but Hebrew is a mathematical language, a musical language, allegorical language. It's one of the only languages that survived that actually has all the five aspects of language. It's also phonetic, of course. Right. Yeah. I want to I want to yeah. jump in here too, because uh, when Morgan was talking about uh, Shireen and how uh, what servant meant, and it said it was servitude uh, to God, it means that, it meant that they were 
servants unto God or servants unto their brethren, brethren, that they would worship them. Uh, so I think that's kind of an interesting thing right there. Like if Japheth and Shem were these gods, then Canaan or the sons of Ham would be worshiping them as if they were gods. So that's kind of interesting. And and to say also that this doesn't mean servitude or slavery. This means a servant to the will of God or to their brothers. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And so, one lives in the tent, one builds the tent, and one's the servant. Yeah, because a lot of times people, uh, even me, uh, until we started talking about this, uh, right now, like I always thought, like because Canaan was cursed and the line of Ham, that that meant they were to be slaves because it's usually associated with uh, melanated people of Ham uh, and slavery, you know, that we have seen uh, throughout history. But in the definition that you gave, the Shereem, it doesn't mean servitude as labor, it means servitude as spiritual servitude uh to give up to to god and to their brothers to be above them so interestingly what if canaan or the people of ham were the ones that wrote the bible or uh the people of that line were the ones that wrote the bible and they were giving or not necessarily the bible i guess uh myth mythology uh i don't know how to word this right but Pentateuch. So you know what I'm saying? So like it was Japheth and Shem that were gods to the children of Ham uh, and Canaan, the Canaanites, they worship them. Does that make sense? And that's where yes. your fallen angel gods are from Shem and Japheth and Canaan worships them. <laughs> I could see where they would make the associations, probably if they spoke of certain gods or fallen angels, that they would be associated with Shem and Japheth for having passed those stories on. Mm -hmm. And so the ones that they probably glorified were the ones that they were seen as being associated with. Well, and if they're the ones who seeded all of mankind, they were probably also lived longer. Uh, they would have probably been seen as some sort of, you know, divine entity or or different, set apart from everybody else, right? Yes. Uh, have I, you guys ever, have you all ever looked at this with um, looking at it kind of in the eyes of, of Kabbalah and in alchemy? Um, and not goodness. quite as like literal. Well, I came across this great website and i i'd come across it before but maybe i just wasn't ready at the time and i've always dipped my toes in kabbalah a little bit with the hebrew and everything but um just coming across this again and reading it in um a, another light like let me read something to y'all real quick from this site about shim ham and Japeth. and um it says that in this site Basically, they are alchemically and Kabbalistically associated with the three uh, solar bodies, the astral, mental, and causal, uh, which we have to create. Basically, uh, Shemhan and Japheth are represented in many other ways. Uh, 
these three children of Noah represent the last three sub-races of the Atlantean goes down there. But basically it's saying like uh, there is another part here of get it, what I like about this too is it gets into the Hebrew and also references the Zohar. And in the Zohar, um, it kind of has, I feel like, maybe a lot of keys to be understood with with this Genesis stuff and um, how we kind of always run into problems, right? With like, so what does this mean? Like, are these three people cursed or whatever? And it's like, first off, if you think about it in a way of, of okay, someone wrote this book. Someone, a, a, a human wrote this. I think maybe we can all assume that. So if an ancestor divinely, wrote this and they're talking divinely about inspired. Div- divinely inspired, sure. But to be like, you know, just think about it, say even a thousand or two thousand years ago, whenever this was written, two thousand years ago, at, at, at a guy like or multiple people just coming with all of this stuff, it's like, it, it just seems so encoded to me. That's all I'm saying. It's like, it, it seems it seems encoded. And I think it is, and I think Kabbalah is the key to it. Um, Yeah, I'll stop there, I guess. But there, um, I'll share this site in the chat if you guys want to uh, keep it. Yeah, that'd be helpful. I always like to get more associations from the Kabbalah because they go really deep on some of the different interpretations really helps with the hebrew too yeah Yeah. and shem was associated as being prophetic and Hmm. i'm not sure about japeth but i know ham has a lot of associations as a leader oh i had in shem and japeth well shem is um they are the uh that's Yahweh's line. So that is the tent owner and down the line and zipping the tent owner. Ham is um produces Canaan, um, who is the accursed meanest slave. Jepeth uh is I guess granted or cursed, I don't know whichever way. He he has his life extended. And he gets to live inside of Shem's tents, basically, is what that breaks down to once you read further. Since the Bible is cyclical, you do have to like read more to understand like mm-hmm. what's going on here. Okay, so and, it's like the leader and then Japheth is like a follower and lives in his tent that he built. Yeah, he like yeah. it just indulges. Yeah, probably. Yeah, the tent like extended ass life. Watch that be like my grandfather or something. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm just kidding. Um, but I did want to get Shem's teachings. I wanted to go over what stupor actually meant um when I looked it up because I wanted to look up stupor because I'm so interested in the fruits of Noah's labor, right? He basically it's an allegory. He planted his vines. He tilled the soil, had three children. Uh, obviously, the the fermentation of his fruits, um, he was drinking from the wine. And um, 
he after it says after he woke up from his stupor, he noticed what was going on or whatever. Um, so stupor, when you look it up in this book, uh, means a pricking to strike violently, um, to rise from the influence or dulling of the spiritual senses. So, um, the pricking or to strike violently really, uh, was like, well, what? that's weird. Um, okay. Wait, so, did you say the doling of spiritual? What was that? Can you say that last senses, part again? Yeah. The doling of the spiritual senses. So alcohol will That's do will do that to you. It will dull your senses, right? Like, you well, know. It's almost, but it's also called spirits, right? And so it, there's also like this strong correlation with like alcohol and spirits. When people get really drunk, it's almost like they're possessed by a spirit, right? And then they the are takes they, over they and they don't even that. remember it, right? And so... Yeah. To me, yep. that's very interesting. It's almost like you become so you become so unaware of it that they're able to take control or something. It's like yeah. you know what I mean because there's definitely still uh, involvement with the spirits. It's not like it's repelling them. It doesn't seem like anyway. No, and it's the low hanging fruit. We are the low hanging fruit. I think also the spirit yeah. with alcohol has has to do with the essence of whatever that uh plant or vegetable or whatever it is that they're taking the alcohol spirit from it's like that plant's essence and so it's that plant's spirit and that's why you're you're consuming its spirit not necessarily spirits so whatever or they that, could be talking it's like ghouls like the word alcohol comes from alcohol oh where the word comes from and so it's considered to be a demon ghoul. It is like the demon. <laughs> well, it's it also used. It's a star also. Also, like that's there's some sense of like, you know, the spirit of the plant. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, the vine so... strangles thing. Or well, the now, strange what you, what fruit. You... Like the, the fruit. Like, okay, so the blood had already touched the ground, right? Blood had already been shed. So once you plant like your holy vines or vines that aren't supposed to touch that type of freaking ground or that type of violence or that type of like soil but mm. he still tilled it anyways and that's what came up because that that ground had blood in it and, i mean in the the ground had already i don't know if it. this blood did this was on the top of a mountain away from where <laughs> there were already people there though didn't we it's already, in the mycelial like, network though didn't we already decide that there were people there well, I don't no. know if we no, determined we for sure. That. We were just more <laughs> pondering a question of like, like these, why did like, why were there people in other regions that knew of Noah as the immortal man? And we get stories from like these different regions. But I think well, we also yeah. established he could have just been around for so much longer that, uh, you know, people spread out and then they realized, oh, this old man, I'm probably related to him, but I forgot. That's why they <laughs> were incest. The flood happened. No, that's when why they were incest to keep like, their blood clean. The flood happened when he was like 650 or something like that. And it said then he lived after the flood 350 more years. And all the days were 950. So he lived 350 right. so three more. Generations. So, so six, he was 600 years old when the flood happened. And he lived uh, another 350 years after that. So, yeah, that's a lot of generations in that time. Um. It's it's uh 
and we did talk about like why they would live that long and whatnot. Um, you're getting into like his drunken stupor. We're getting into that and uh, how he woke up angry. But that kind of gets into this part. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. What about that makes Noah so angry that Ham saw him naked? I don't, this is maybe something that's maybe some type of uh, uh, cultural aspect from that time long ago or something. I'm I'm not really sure that if anybody else has any ideas. It also just... It also just seems like a classic human story, right? It's like if you were to get drunk, wake up, you have a, you're hungover, you feel like crap, and all of a sudden people are looking at you, you're naked. You're probably not going to be in the best mood, right? It's like I don't know. To me, it's just like a great example embarrassment. of embarrassment, humanity, and just classic but, embarrassment. But it also does kind of echo the story in the garden, right? Where they're they're ashamed of being naked. So we're we're almost yeah. seeing that. That, we're dealing um, with a certain shame, entity. Yeah, we're still dealing with it. Uh, it is an interesting And point. I think it has to do with incest or like another sexual act. And like maybe it's not what some people have. And these are like strong Christian or strong Jewish believers have leaned towards like maybe because since Moses the law of incest was not established until Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. So they did practice incest to keep their bloodline clean for that long until whatever time that was until the Torah came down. So it could be that, but I don't think so because that's normalized in the society that we're, we're, mm-hmm speaking of i think it has maybe to do with like the more of the ganymede side of things maybe like that sexuality pedophilia yeah or well i don't think it was pedo because they're these kids were already old by this time right they were already in their hundreds father and son (laughs) apparently they didn't they looked away with their modest yeah it was yeah, not. It me. seemed like none of them wanted to be there. It just seemed like an awkward moment. <laughs> like I don't know. Maybe there is some alchemical meaning with their own modesty, so they respected him by not looking at him naked. But so then it does yeah, say that Noah awoke from his wine cool. and knew like, what his younger son had done unto him. Had done to him. What did uh, he? What did his? Yeah. And so another thing that I want to get into is this doesn't say that God cursed Canaan, right? Does is it no. say that anywhere in here? It says that Noah did, right? So why why was Noah Noah given uh the authority to curse Canaan uh for seeing his drunkenness? And why curse a son of Ham? Why not curse Ham? That's the other interesting thing. Uh people have alluded to the fact that maybe Ham uh, coveted with his mother and they had a child together and that was Canaan and that's why Canaan was cursed uh, I've heard that before I've also heard the homosexuality thing before uh, so where do these just, theories do these theories come from like alternative texts or are people just 
coming up with that based off apologist. of apologist. I listen to apologist. a lot of Christian podcast believe it or not and so i've i've heard these stories uh come about uh from them explaining that uh and that's what i'm saying they all some depending upon what denomination evangelical or you know protestant or whatever else they always explain it in some type of different way because this story is kind of vague and seeing somebody's nakedness doesn't really seem like something you would curse a whole uh, branch of your your sons because they did that you know what i mean and make them servants so it there seems to be more to this story than meets the eye so to speak uh, i think what they're referring to is that they covered him up because they did not want to look at him naked and so they never did see him naked because they covered him up. And that's what they did unto him. They put a shroud over him on his shoulders. Who's the youngest? Covered him up. But the younger son is Ham. The younger son had done unto him. The other two yeah. took okay. a garment and laid it the other upon two their were the shoulders ones who covered him up. and went him backwards yeah. and laid it on their father. Uh, yeah. Joshua, uh, when we first spoke, uh, he had a hypothesis that uh, this is another uh, stealing of the garment and that uh, uh, what do you call it? The golden fleece? Yeah, yes, so that Ham came colors. in, Ham oh, came in and stole the garment off of Noah and so that's why his, the brothers had to go in and cover him because he stole his garment from him and the garment is what gives you uh the the blood right the bloodline like the the what's it called help me out here the uh blessing birthright birthright there you go the birthright or the blessing so uh because he, and then you can see that in the story when we get there we'll talk about esau and jacob too jacob kind of uh steals esau's hunting coat and then dresses like him and and takes his blessing and his birthright from him so is this another kind of story about stealing the birthright and then Noah realizes that Ham tried to steal that, so that's why he got pushed to the bottom of the line? Um, it's always interesting, too, because the second son is always usually the one that becomes the birthright. Uh, so with Japheth, that means uh, Shem, I believe, was the second uh, son. And so Ham being the third son was trying to steal that birthright maybe and got caught for it and then got cursed down the line uh because <clears throat> he is cursed by his father not by god but he i think any blessed be the lord god of shem and canaan shall be his servant uh so yeah it's an interest it's so weird because then this becomes the canaanites and then forever they're known as like the the cursed people or whatnot. So this is a physical thing, right? Because we know that there's Canaanites in history. We hear about the Canaanites. We hear about these like kind of people uh, that don't have a covenant with God and they believe in all these other deities and worship Moloch and Baal and all this other crap. So you have to understand though when um you're you're speaking of noah 
You're speaking of like a noetic voice. So Noah can speak directly to God, but no one else can, I think. Or Noah has like a way that he can be heard from God. But as the generations pass down, because they it, it does say that we get further and further and further, um, it he shuts the door behind Noah. Therefore, when he comes, like he can't hear like our noetic, uh, are the way that we, our our sound, we just sound like babble. You know what I'm saying? Like our sound isn't noetically sound, so therefore we can't be properly heard by God. So basically, Noah is playing God at this moment, right? So yeah, I really like where you're going with that, and that's this is one thing I like love this stuff so much. The Bible has like. 50 ways to to look <laughs> at it and you know there's just a million ways and, and things that you could pull from from this book but um i want to throw a little bit more more alchemy on 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 the fire here so we can uh keep coming at it from from kind of all angles so let me read something again real quick um talking about uh a chapter begins after noah was saved from the flood uh the noah <clears throat> Uh, this Noah, of course, was a, the righteous fire, uh, the ish, that the Bible states was saved uh, with his family by entering the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, they're equating the Ark of the Covenant to equate with like the, you know, the spiritual alchemy, the great work, essentially. Right. And then so when one enters into the path of chastity, because, again, that's what kind of the claim or what it seems to be a lot about is is the uh the sexual alchemy and combining the the waters above being the brain fluids and the waters below being the sexual uh fluids and you know essentially combining them uh you could say in like kundalini right uh combining them or, or raising the fluids so that from down to up um and or then, physically so, so, Right, or right, physically the sexual fluids and your brain fluids. There's two physical things, right? Um and then it says so when one enters into the path of chastity, that our physicality, uh the earth, enters into harmony and order with the universe. Uh that is why it is written that after the universal flood, where the generation of Noah emerged after the flood, which which are these guys, right? Uh the three. They're at, the sons of Noah here are after the flood, right? Right. They're so before and after, yeah. Uh, before and after. So that is why is there in that after the universal flood, where the generations of Noah emerged after the flood, the earth was all one language in the same words because it was in harmony. And then basically, so it's talking about. You know that that's what's great about the Bible. You could you could look at this like macro microcosm, like looking at you know uh, Noah and all these characters as like you know uh, trees on the or little uh, sephiroths on the Kabbalah tree of life, or you could look at this you know in a in a way bigger picture. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that adds some. Uh to it because maybe him seeing his nakedness or 
some sexual act took away that uh, creation of creating everything good and brought in the wickedness. Hmm. Yeah. So maybe yeah, that's the bringing the, in of the wickedness. So, yeah, it's all not the fa- his father, the their father's nakedness. So if you think of Noah as in this, like the perfect humanity or like the the righteous fire or whatever, they couldn't see it. And then Noah woke from his wine, uh, you know, and he was he was pissed. Uh, what about because he's fire? yeah but what about like fire water um their faces were backward like uh he's talking about shem and japheth and saying that their faces were backward like specifying like were backward so if you're if you're talking backwards what are you doing you're lying right possibly they could be looking away Looking think, away from him. I think that's what it has to do with. They're not looking at his nakedness. They're backing in and walking and covering him up so that they don't see him. They could either be looking away or like covering their eyes kind of a thing. That was my interpretation. I'm just saying because it reminds me of um, when like Hermes and Apollo were like, fuck. I mean, sorry about my language. They were like, oh, my gosh. Zeus is going to be so mad once he sees all of this discord on this earth. Like, um, hold on, I need to come down here and I'm going to fix things real quick. So Hermes comes down here and uh, messes with the cattle. I think he takes two of each, two of, and buries them, right? And then like burns them perhaps. And don't, don't attack me if I'm wrong. I haven't read this in a very long time. But then he comes back up to Apollo and he's like, all right. All right, don't worry, I got it fixed. And he's like, "Well, what'd you do?" And Paul and uh, Hermes is like, "Don't worry about it. Just sit back and watch the show. You're gonna freaking laugh your butt off, pretty much." So that's really what this reminds me of, like a lot. So I'm, I'm not really. We could still be talking in like old school because the writers. Okay, so it's attributed to Moses, but you have to remember who actually was writing this, and they were Platonist uh, theologi- like theologians. They were. I think Kabbalah uh, is the missing link. I think you're spot on. I think Kabbalah, because you got the Greek Kabbalah, you got the Hebrew Kabbalah. I think Kabbalah is missing the the key to the key to unraveling all of this. Well, yeah. Andy Sage, and I I don't know shit about the Kabbalah, so it kind of sucks. But I think that's the key. Uh, I'd like to learn more about it for sure. It's mentioned that the nakedness could mention could refer to errors or perversions, and like mm-hmm. a backwardsness of his ways, not necessarily just being stark naked, but uh, referring to doing perverted things. I forgot. Yes, you're absolutely right. Because yes, when Hermes left, the 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 shepherd the herdsmen the shepherdsmen started talking and walking backwards so it is a perversion of things it is like a like a entering in of something and a rearranging like a perversion of of mm. something that's not supposed to happen and like you he know what i mean things like drinking too much and they were doing things like maybe mischievous things while he was passed yeah. out 
So, so maybe they're taking his cloak, ride on the magic carpet. Who wouldn't yeah. take the keys and go ride maybe. on the magic carpet? Right. Maybe Noah Absolutely. sinned here, and he was supposed to be uh, the perfected being, which is why he was saved in his lineage. And he was the one that was in sin when this happened. And because Ham saw that he was not as righteous as he proclaims to be, his brothers both looked the other way and covered him even knowing and went on about their business but shem because he saw his wickedness uh was cursed oh he judged him for it mm -hmm. the other brothers forgave him and tried to ignore it let yeah. it pass let it flow but noah does not get judged for his drunkenness just so we make this very clear noah um is in known for being like noah's not charged or did judged for being a drunk for did shem, did shem see him as less holy or look down on him in any ways from it no he's okay. still known as noah like <laughs> the noah like yeah. he's not charged for any of this during noah is sin free by the way still um I think that kind of concludes this part. If, if anybody has any more to add, I think we covered as much the as the phrase probably... uh, laid it upon the shoulder is said to signify um, being excused for mistakes. Yeah, see? So that checks out then, yeah? It does. Yeah, and I think that's the overall uh, motif that we get from the Bible, or at least I do, is that that is like the one thing that you're not really supposed to do is not forgive somebody like to judge somebody mm -hmm. is not our job. And that's why Jesus whole thing was to love God and to love others, love your enemies, love your neighbors. Uh, you without sin cast the first stone. And I think we've seen that throughout Genesis. It's like when we dig deeper into these stories, that seems to be the common motif that I think is oftentimes actually overlooked. Uh, it's not about the drunkenness. It's not about the sacrifices. It's about, judging others and what they're bringing to the table mm -hmm. respect mm -hmm. oh maybe uh let's get into genesis 10 you guys ready to go there yeah yeah uh i'm gonna do jeffites we'll start there and then go to hamites and semites um, it's broken into three sections, so we'll talk about it in three sections. Uh, now, uh, this is the Jephites, Je Je I don't know, Jephites, Jephites, Jephites. It has one Chronicles 157. I don't know why it has that here. Uh, maybe there's more about the Jephites there. Um, it says, now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. The sons of Japheth are Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshech and Tiras. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz and Riphath, Togarmah, and the sons of Javan, 
Elisha and Tarshish, 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 Kittim and Dodanim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families and their nations. I wonder if there were also daughters and they were not mentioned, because I know in a lot of these ancient cultures and languages, when people were sort of writing down records, it was often just the men uh, and the women were not included in the like census and, and things like that. So I wonder if there were actually daughters, too, and we're just hearing about the sons. Mm-hmm. And it's true. And if that's the case, then were there other women there on the ark with them? Right. Were- well, there were, were definitely the wives. Women. Yeah. So they the are women. mentioned. It's not like they're not mentioned in stories and stuff, but there are certain instances where they're not included in like the the sort of tally up. So just wanted to bring that up. Or they're mentioned under the suns underneath a different name. Right. Yeah. Because when I think of Dodanum, mm-hmm. I automatically think of the Dodana wood. The sacred wood that was in, of course, y'all know I'm already going to say it, the Argon, like Jason and the Argonauts on the Argo Navis. <laughs> um, and I think of, um, in my edition, it says something different, but Medai or Medai or however, um, I think of Medea, like Medes, um, the, the, angel who or the spirit that um uh fell in love with jason and guided him throughout this trip so um a a lot of these have like definitely like maybe women yeah or like they're underneath sons but they're actually women because ashkenaz makes me think of asherah yeah Ashkenazi, yeah. isn't that like a type of Jews? Mm-hmm. It is. It's yeah, a family. Well, these are all Jews, right? That we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Ashkenazi are like considered to be like a sacred race of Jews or something. Special uh, race. They're considered to be the blood. fake, the fake ones, actually. Oh, the fake ones. Oh, right, yeah. depends who you ask. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was about to say what lady is pleading and what lawyer is speaking. Well, because uh, because I, Shem is the birthright so the ashkenaz would not have the birthright because they belong to japheth and not from shem so yeah, they don't mention any of the children of ashkenaz or repath or mm-hmm. any of well they they mentioned the the, the children of gomer and javan but they don't mention the other sons like Madai, meshek and tiras they don't mention their sons maybe they only had daughters uh, I do believe that there it's is, uh, it... you can find charts of like all of their lineage uh, it, from men and then whoever they married, but you won't see daughters necessarily. Maybe they but... just didn't identify as Japethites for some reason. Yeah, it's only like when they're married and they sort of take on that name that they seem to be mentioned, right? And mm-hmm. Carried on. You yeah. have to be because it's lands. Um, you have to think of this also in a different way. You have to think of like water and land. And you also have to think of like two different lands that are um, 
not divided, but like put they they put them together. You know, they because they married them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like what they used to do back in the day. So they're that's what they're doing. They're marrying the lands. But if you want to speak about it and like these alchemical ways you have to think of it you water land land there's three you know so anyway i have a question weren't gog and magog considered to be giants yes i don't know if that's the same were, were they giants or did they kill giants they, they were giants them. and giant uh, oh, okay. there was a giant in britain called magog or gog magog i think uh yeah. and uh and there's a very famous story about Gog Magog in Britain. And I think that ends up becoming Jack and the Beanstalk. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, two Ball, though. I don't know if Two Ball, this is like Two Ball Kane. Obviously not because this is Japheth, but I always think it's weird when they have the same names like Enoch and Enoch. It really bugs me because like it's really hard to tell the difference between the two. When you when they have the same name, so now you have a two ball that's a Japhethite, but then you also have a two ball that's a Canite. So it's like, what the heck is going on here? Um, they still also, do that today. Harshish, that's another interesting one uh, because of Tartaria, right? So Tar and Shish, uh, and Tar. We I looked up, and Tar uh, means like a tree. Uh, in in um gaelic and uh german and uh like the early languages tars tree uh kittum and dodanum obviously dan is in this name but it's not dan's not alive yet so to say uh because he doesn't come later until he it's an israelite but that's not to say that there wasn't dan's before dodanums maybe there was another dan tribe from japheth uh i don't know but uh dan could be from a shortening of dodanum yeah very well could be it says that japheth did mix with shem so it seems like shem and japheth did mix together but they didn't necessarily mix with ham or the canaanites but uh later on uh, in the Bible, it does talk about the tribe of Dan uh, mingling m- with the Canaanites. Uh, they they left Israel and mingled with Canaanites. So I'm guessing there's probably some crossover with that too. Um, My Bible uh, definitely says the Danaanites right there. Oh, it does? Um, yeah, after Kittim. Hmm. What Bible is that? The New Jerusalem Bible. Okay. Or just know the Jerusalem Bible. All right. Um, yeah, so does anybody else have anything to say about uh, the Japhethites? All righty then. We'll okay. go to the Hamites. What? Nomad? No, I just said no. Nothing else okay. on that. Hamites. Uh, ten six, and the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Foot, or Put, P H U T, and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba, 
and Havala and Sabta and Rama and Sabteka and the sons of Rama, Sheba and Dadan and Cush. Uh, and Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be mighty on one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, at the, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erek, and Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar, which is Sumeria, out of that land went forth Asher, and builded Nineveh, and the city Rehoboth, and Kalah, and resin between Nineveh and Kalah, the same is a great city. And Mizraim begat Ludim, and Anamim, and Lahabim, and Naphtuum, and Pathrusum, and Kasluum, out of whom came Philistim, the Philistines, and Cathatorum. So. It's a bunch of interesting stuff here. Nimrod. Nimrod's Sorry, considered could, a god. Did you right? read that again? No, thank you. <laughs> good, good job. <laughs> I, that was a mouthful. Yeah, that was a mouthful. You, can you say these better? <laughs> I, <laughs> no. I, uh, and, I think Nimrod is the son of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. I believe so. Later time. Your Tower of Babel. Maybe. Yeah, I think this is the same time as that, though, because he, he... It is it's saying that. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And Nimrod was said to have built the Tower of Babel. Hmm? Nimrod was said to have built the Tower of Babel. He did. He, he did, yep. His kingdom was Babel, and Eric, and Akkad, and Kalneh. But they say Kalneh. that his father was Cush, but... It's also said that Nimrod's father was Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to go and say that Cush is like a land, is like an area mm -hmm. at this point. Why well, do you bring that not, up? There's I was going to say. translation, apparently. Um, Glad you brought that up. Go ahead, because, Nimrod. Because we go all the way from the, the New Covenant to the Old Covenant. So Israel becomes a land versus just the blood. So I'm going to assume that we've got different territories set up at this yeah. point, and that's what's going on. So in Hebrew, it's Kush, and it is translated to mean Ethiopia 19 mm -hmm. times, and it's translated as Kush eight times, and Ethiopians three times. So pretty Africa. much it's like it's used to describe Ethiopians or Ethiopia region more than just about any other use. And I so think have a law. And it also Africa, means black. I think Africa back then also encompassed more than what Africa encompasses now. I think Africa back right. then encompassed uh the the what's that called? The like that peninsula area that where the Red Sea is that what's that area now? Like Iran and Iraq. Are we talking Pangea? Italy. It no, 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 no. Well, we no. get to that soon. <laughs> no, Arabia. Not, <clears throat> I'm talking uh <laughs> Arabia, South oh God! The Arabian Peninsula. Uh, it is. Is it? Is it? Is it Iraq? I think 
the whole peninsula goes all the way down to Yemen. It's got Saudi Arabia, Kazakhstan, Arab Emirates, Turkey. Qatar, Iran, Iraq. Mm-hmm. Kazakhstan's further north in Persia before the peninsula, I think. I think Africa probably included that too. So, so man, these all these. But as you're talking, as you're looking for this, I just want to mention we get to this Uh, because it encompassed part of this area too of Jerusalem, uh, because the bottom, the lower half of Jerusalem was ruled by another uh, a group. Uh, because it later talks about how they would fight over uh, Jerusalem and then uh, this part of like the Saudi Arabia, the Arab lands got taken away from Africa um, and put in with the Arab lands. But this area all used to be part of Africa, it used to be considered part of Africa. So Yeah, the peninsula starts with Arabia because Iran and Iraq are considered Persia. Yes. Yeah, and Persian, and they think my father was part Iraqi. Hmm. So he's got, got the eyebrows. Sudan here too, which I think might be Daydan. Um, and that verse that we read. Sue can be South South Dan. Uh, it and is. Once we, yeah. Once we get to a little bit farther down in this chapter, in verse twenty-five, it talks about. And to Eber have two sons been born. The name of one is Peleg, for in his days has the earth been divided. So if you're in that region and there was some sort of division there where that er- that area that you just had on the map was separated, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It would make sense that we're seeing this text here saying that the earth was divided. Yeah. Um. So then uh, 10, 15... And Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, Jebusite, Jebusite. I always think that's Jesuit too, Uh, but Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Gergesite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite. These are all ites. Whenever you see ites in the Bible too, this always refers to giants. Right. So, and these are giants of Ham. So, these are giants from Africa uh, because we've already connected Cush and Shinar with Sumeria. So, these are our darker, melanated skinned peoples uh, and giants. And the Arvidite and the Semerite and the Hemathite. And afterward, were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as thou comest to Gerar, unto Gaza, as thou goest unto Sodom, Sodom, S-O-D-O-M, and Gomorrah, and Adma, so Sodom and Gomorrah, and Zeboim, even unto Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. One last thing on uh, ham. So in Hebrew, it's ham, K-H-A-W-M, and it means hot or from the tropical habitat. So I just thought that was another cool little clue. That's interesting, too, because of chem, right? Chem, K-H-E-M, and calm. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost like uh, equivalent to ham there, 
just a change of that E and the A. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the land of uh, chemistry, alchemy. Is all going on in Africa. When you go into the Sumerian stories, like Shinar, uh, you you get the Enki myths, and Enki was the scientist and uh, crafting things here in Africa. So there's another connection to that, like how this was like bad. Uh, but it's interesting because Egypt later becomes like one of like the the like central places where everybody wants to go to learn and everything like that. Anybody else have anything to say on the Hamites? Well, I mean, our stories of Moses, right. was probably one of the, the biggest scribes that we know of, you know, if you believe that, I guess. So that makes sense, right? Because he sort of bridged the gap of, of Hebrews and Egyptians. And so you, you, a lot of our basically all of our religion and mythos you know kind of stems from from that point it seems like yeah it was probably yeah. a retelling of other stories from the canaanites and yeah for sure well we still retelling of the stories of mesopotamia and mm -hmm. ancient egypt uh yeah, with they're all audible yeah they're, they're passed on by stories people telling stories until you finally had someone who was uh who grew up around those hearing those stories but then he had the education of the egyptians right he was raised up in the egyptian like hierarchy and so he had he was able to be a scribe uh and and tell those stories well he was raised more as a soldier his his brother aaron was raised as a scribe mm -hmm. actually did most of the writing for him <clears throat> well i knew he didn't like at least the, yeah, he didn't like public speaking, or at least yeah. that was kind of how I heard it growing up. Is Where like he Morgan's about but to that go makes super sense too that maybe right he now. wasn't, maybe he wasn't uh, writing either. Yeah, it's go ahead. Didn't know Hebrew, but Aaron did. <laughs> Aaron became a high priest of the Melchizedek order. Mm. Interesting. It. The, but, yeah. What? High the Melchizedek, Melchizedek order. order. They would wear um, 12 different stones on their chest and they became a high priest. And so he was. No, I know that the, the breastplate of Aaron, but I didn't know that was a Melchizedek yes. order. Yes. So that's a. Enlighten us about what Melchizedek concept. is or who that is or what. what that well, it's an Enochian. Melchizedek goes back to the time of Abraham. It's it, the word Melchizedek means the king of righteousness. And, and then what happened? He was a figure that met with Abraham, and uh, he was a man of righteousness, and they traded with each other. And he was right, but I'm saying, and then, then, like, I'm, I'm saying linearly, like when this story is being told from beginning to end. Um, clearly, they were also talking to the wrong gods, like the they high priest of the Melchizedek order. Well, the Melchizedek order to me is, I mean, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I don't know. I'm saying what it is in when you're speaking like of it in Enochian terms, because Enoch is, he comes into play when you are speaking of any order of anything. And um, especially that one, because 
they essentially are the ones who are involved in the Mount Hermon event. So I am <clears throat> just curious as to why you think that. So you think he went with Enoch? Like what happened to Aaron? Aaron ended up becoming a high priest. And, and then what? Moses led the people uh, with the writings that Aaron gave him. But the Melchizedek, the Melchizedek order was more of kind of like the Essenes, like kind of kept to themselves. There were a higher class of people. There were scribes and a higher class of mystics that kind of isolated themselves from society. Their story wasn't sure. told to the public. For Is sure. So more like you're saying the Essenes for ascetic reasons. I would think that Moses was more of an Essene than Aaron, but that's just Moses. Well, it's thought that the Essenes castrated themselves when they became high priests. Moses never became a high priest. He was considered a prophet. No, he wasn't able to. No, but Aaron was probably castrated when he became a high priest and wore that chest plate. Like a eunuch, yeah, because that's well, I think, yeah, because that's that's how they got it, it, that's how they defeated the pharaohs in Egypt was through Aaron's rod, right? Yeah, and those, those Aaron's rod grew flowers. Now, take that however you want to take it. He could turn I, it to snake when he threw it in front of the pharaoh, you take all of that. However, you would like to take that. But Aaron's rod grew flowers, and that is how and why they were able to defeat the Egypt, like Egyptian priests. Basically. All right. So these are the 12 names of the stones of the Melchizedek order Reuben, Simon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Nephtali, Gad. Asher, Yosef, and Benjamin. Okay. So they may have worshipped those figures. Okay, perfect. Thank you for clarifying yeah. all that. I love talking anything about Aaron. He's my favorite, obviously. Yeah, he's so Just fat. because you don't really know anything about him. It's kind of obscure. <laughs> Very obscure. In the Bible. And, no, and God doesn't take them. Like they say he died in the desert and they just like are like, okay, bye. You know, like, <laughs> see, it. Enoch got taken by God. Um, you know, most of these yes. figures we don't hear about did. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, Elijah was also taken by God. Enoch and Elijah became. Metatron and Sandalphon, respectively. Yes, yes, they did. You are absolutely right. They're considered to be in Christianity, according to the Epistle of the Hebrews or Epistle to the Hebrews, Jesus Christ is identified as a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so Jesus assumes the role of high priest once and for all. Chaslic literature, specifically Targum, Jonathan, Targum. Yerushalmi and the Babylonian Talmud presents his name uh, in Hebrew as a nickname for Shem. Wow. Yep. And it did say that they were the tent owners. So uh, that's Joseph. Yahweh's line. Yeah, that's Yahweh's line. Patriarchal yeah. order, they don't mention any like female high priests. Mm -mm. Joseph 
Uh, Blankensop has suggested that the story of Melchizedek is an informal insert insertion into the Genesis narration, possibly insert inserted in order to give validity validity to the priesthood and uh, tithes connected with the second temple. It has also been conjectured that the suffix Zedek may have been or become a reference to a Canaanite deity worshipped in pre-Israelite Jerusalem. So that gives interest. That's like, remember what I was saying earlier that the Canaanites were worshipping their own brothers as gods. This kind of gives validity to that. It says it also been conjectured that the suffix Zedek may have been or become reference to a Canaanite deity worshipped in pre-Israelite Jerusalem. And if we're saying that these are Shem, the line of Shem, then that means Canaanite Canaan was worshipping Shem as deities. I just think that's pretty interesting. And Ugaritic reference order older than 12th century BCE to a god named Saduk Righteousness has also been found a possible forerunner of Sadiq. Uh, man, you know what that sounds like, right? Forerunner of Sadiq being included in personal names. Sadiq? <laughs> yeah. Well, it also like it's a joke. reminds me of Not the a Sadiq. Sadu- oh, Sadiq. <laughs> um, listen, are the Saduchis or the Saducees Saducees? Like that, that, that whole yeah, whatever. Potato potato. Whatever. The that uh school of thought of uh Mesoretic Jewish um mysticism, I guess you could say. Mm. All right. Sadducees. Sadducees. Reminds me of the uh, the seven sages of Enki, the uh, the uh, the bird headed people. Yeah, bird. Where they get the bird oh, language? They? Uh, they're yeah. the cherubim, cher- cherubim, cherubim. Um, oh, the cherubim were also like the uh, cherubs, like the uh, cupids. That's like a later form of how I think that's to show like their innocence, uh, because they were so close to God, uh, that they were like so pure that it shows their childlike innocence like that. But they're also referenced as cherubim in in uh, in Sumer and as the bird-headed people. Yeah, they're known and, as the Apkalu. And yes. you don't want to get like yes. shot by the Eros, E-R-O-S, like love or like an arrow by Cupid. You know, like Cupid's yeah, arrows, serious. like E-R-O-S, like that form of love, not like um they Stag- Stagros, Stargos, the the mother, daughter, or parent type of love, but like arrows, like while we're here to love everyone. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah. They were portrayed as being childlike. And I wonder if maybe they were eunuchs. They would kind of like be like matchmakers and like 
put people up with each other, but they were not portrayed as being adults themselves. They were portrayed as being children or childlike, mm -hmm. shooting arrows and bullets. Interesting. So they may have been match. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then the next uh, uh, part after him is the Semites. Uh, so this is 1021. Unto Shem also the father of all children of Eber. So this is the Hebrews, the brother of Japheth, the elder. Even to him were children born. Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth. So, okay. Uh, the children of Shem, Elam, and Ashur, and Arphaxid, and Lud, and Aram, and the children of Aram, Uz, Uzi, and Hul, and Gether, and Mash, and Arphaxid begat Salah, and Salah begat Eber, and unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Joktan, Yoktan, and Yoktan begat Al Almodad and Shalef and Hazar Meveth, Hazar Meveth, I don't know, and Jerah and Hadaram and Uzal and Dikla and Obal and Abimail, Abimail and Sheba and Ophir and Havilah and Jobab, Jobab. All these were the sons of Yokden, and their dwelling was from Mesha, as thou goest unto Safar, a mount of the east. That's like sounds like Mecca, maybe, and also pretty close to what they called Moses or Moshi or so I want it's interesting because doesn't Moses basically make the pilgrimage back to Mecca or Moshi, the mountain of Moshi, Mesha. I don't know. Spitballing. These are the sons of Shem after their families, after their tongues in the, their lands, after their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood so one thing about when uh race is defined in in like the dictionary race is defined as like a cultural aspect or background it has nothing to do with skin color or uh anything it has to do with head shape and culture so what were the head shapes like did they mention that no i'm just saying like uh, if you look up <clears throat> here, i'll look up race right now i just want to say one thing um as he's speaking about that a lot of the the during the diaspora or the like when they um they left Egypt and then came back. You have to do keep in mind that this is actual history. Like this is not like 
I know a lot of it sounds mythological or what have you, but it was um, after the destruction of the Second Temple. Uh, it was Portugal and Spain, and um, it in uh, Syrian, like the Sephardim was the Syrian nobility. Um, and so they had different nobilities come from different lines and go conquer mm. different areas. So in, um, like, uh, hold on, the Judeo Espanol, like the, so the, the Jewish, they, that directed, that claimed direct blood from David from like actual Jew Jewish blood these are the people who went and established in different places but the surnames were like Ashkenazi Azari Blanco Cohen Franco Zargon Gomez Levi Lopez Lobaton Mathalon Mizraji Salas Seton Tulida um, and so the Spanish and Portuguese and Arabic, the Jewish people all worshiped together and then arranged marriages within each other. So that's what happened. Hmm. And these names actually uh, remind me of the names of the Sumerian kings list, like particularly. It absolutely does. I mean, because these families were right. We're we're like following a royal family's just like one side view of like history i guess you could say and so they're gonna deify like it, it's deifying itself pretty much yeah. because we're human and all and even jesus said do not like worship me i don't even want to have any idols like about me and what what do we even do right now like we literally will worship him like on a cross in a church so it's like we'll talk about is he coming back it's just like, I'm just saying we as humans can't get over deifying something. So, of course, we're going to deify these families. They allowed us into their history because they kept track of all of this. We act like this is some like major surprise. No, they arranged all of this to happen and then allowed us to have their uh, lineage um, put into a book where we all read and worship just saying i wonder sometimes if they add on to the name if they're just deifying a person that came before them kind of like akhenaten has the name Aten in his name and there's like a sumerian king asher banapal maybe he was deifying asher but he came well you have to okay so asher banapal it's funny that you bring like that up so like when yes absolutely uh when you're like reading like about um like Ashurbanipal, um he has a lot to do with like the, that's still the the Ashurbanipal tablets haven't fully been put back together like they're still like missing or the owner won't give them up whose whose last name is Smith by the way there's like um, translated yet there. No, uh, but also there's, oh, I wanted to tell you guys this too, while I have, I told Dan about this when we were doing the um, show the other night, but there is a, oh, sorry, none of this is responding, my bad. Um, I'll just, there's going to be like a new Gnostic translation coming out of all of the, these 
different texts that haven't been translated yet by someone who's able to do it. So um, I'll send you guys the link. Yeah, I know a lot of them have broken lines. It's not mm-hmm. a complete translation. It's they about try to, to be. them all together so they can get the full translation. And shout out to Dr. Earl Fontenelle for um, that information because that's freaking cool. Um, and yeah, keep, you guys can keep going. Sorry. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, I, got- I looked up race. I just want to do this real quick. Uh, in the definition here, it says a group of people identified as distinct from other groups because of supposed physical or genetic traits shared by the group. Most bio- biologists and anthropologists do not recognize race as a biologically valid classification, in part because there is more genetic variation within groups than between them. A group of people united or classified together on the basis of a common history, nationality, or geographic distribution, for instance, the Celtic race a genealogical line, a lineage. So the Abrahamic race or the noetic race would be a genealogical line, but genealogies get broken up into different groups and segments and, uh, and humans considered as a group, uh, biology, a usually geographically isolated population or organisms that differ from other populations of the same species in certain uh, heritable traits, island and island race of birds, a breed or strain as a domestic animal of distinguishing characteristic qualities such as the flavor of wine. So like, I'll just use white people for instance, like, British people and Americans and Irish and Russians were all Caucasian, but technically would be in grouped into different racial identities because we have different cultural um, markers and probably different lineages that go back to different people. Like uh, people from India can be black color, but they're considered Caucasian. They have Caucasian hair. But they mm-hmm. can be as dark as black, like South India. Mm-hmm. But still considered Caucasian, which most people associate with white, but they can be black. Yes. So I kind of just wanted to like re re go over like so okay, according to the Aleppo Codex, which is a Jewish rabbinical text, the Jewish uh, the Italian and Spanish Jews are designated as the signorium or like the crown. Okay. And then you have the uh, Spanish, Portuguese, and Arabic Jews that all work together for that crown. Okay. So there you have three different lines split up and you know all working for the italian spanish signorium the that is like the the creme de la creme so is there a name for the spanish portuguese and arabic jews that's different than the signorium italian um 
you'd have to go look at the uh, Aleppo Codex of the um, the Keter crown. So go look at that. Um, that's where I am uh, citing my work because that that was a lot of work that I went in to get that a long time ago, and I totally forgot about it. And it came in to it was useful. So um, yeah, all of this is historical because it was documented, you know. And so, Keter is one of the Sephirots. Yes. Yeah, the crown. Yes. PK, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> I, well, I was just going to push back a little bit on the historical thing. I'm about as skeptical as they come, I guess. And um, saying it's historical, uh, I guess my only rub with that is um, I I I feel like it's hard it's hard to know what happened. Uh, you know, more than like. 300 years ago or so and when you get thousands of years back it just seems to become so convoluted and um you know history is like basically a story agreed upon in a nutshell so right so i i don't know it's hard it's hard to to know like what's real and what's not so I don't know by what you mean. Maybe it's like a matter of definition of historical. But if you're if by historical you mean like someone wrote it a long time ago. It was an then... agreed upon document after the first crusade um that established the Syrian nobility. That generally has multiple Exegesis. sources, so not just the script right this uh not just the person writing it, the scribe writing it, but also it would be confirmed by in other regions with similar stories that match up. And so I think a lot of our there historical context, yeah. there is there is actually a large list of criteria that went into the decisions that made what was considered canon in the Bible, for example. Now, that doesn't yeah. mean all the stories in the Bible are historical, factual things, but a lot like a lot of the times it will say if it's a a myth or if it's a parable you know it'll often say that um and then you you could obviously like everybody's gonna have different opinions on what they think actually happened where some things uh you know twisted on purpose or even misinterpreted on accident right we've talked about how you can have a story change in 10 minutes just by a line of people trying to tell the same story from start to finish so mm -hmm. i think there's definitely nuance to this but I think we do see a lot of historical evidence of mythologies across the world in different regions that are telling very similar stories. Um, and so that's to me when it gets super interesting because it's like, okay, these are different regions with very similar stories and they seem to have areas that overlap. And to me, that is as close as we sort of get to historic, you know, history or his being historically accurate. Yes. Um, I don't know if that answers I, your question or, or your yeah, comments. Yeah, that, clear, that clears it up a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it, um, so, um, also, it's lineage too. A lot of the times, in, in the historical aspects, so like the when we're talking about right. lineages of people, they're they're being able to be traced back. So there is a physical body of that person existing. Like what I was saying about Canaan or Canaanites, it, it, it could be taken alchemically, but at the same time, there was a group of people called Canaanites. So. 
and that's a historical. And there's always skeptics, and it's good to keep open mind about these things. Like Jordan Maxwell, for example, thinks that the Jewish history only goes back 200 years mm. and falsified our history and created a false history that aligns with different stories as they've usurped the different stories and myths of other cultures to create a doctrine that mm. would be involve all those people and bring them into their understanding. Mm-hmm. So I have- am like, all right, I would 200 years. I, that's a crazy number. I will, yeah. but I do. They just got the credit. I do find credit. I find like, I tell Daniel all the time, like, I swear, I feel like, like this all came from Crete. Like, you know, like that's, I tell everyone, like, that's where I feel like that's where the shit comes from. Like the sea people, like, oh my God, they're just taking over and then like infiltrating and then leaving and then we're getting kicked out. And that's why they're wandering or whatever. It's been established that Hebrew is like Canaanite Phoenician that comes from the seafaring traders, mercantile class. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) I Yes, (laughs) it is. I Yeah. And uh, Abraham, who then like went down there, came from Ur. So the yeah. people of Canaan, like it originally came from Ur of Mesopotamia, which was between Sumer and Babylon. And some people believe that um, Abraham was a spy for the Mesopotamians. It's funny that you say spy because they use that word um, when uh, in this dictionary when I was looking up words for other things i would have to go back and look but uh it's crazy because they use that word spies and they also use it a lot like um like when they're talking about like slaves too like homer being a slave or Mm. a spy or a scribe or like you know certain things that that's nuts Oftentimes on the slave thing too, it was, uh, I believe in a lot of these stories, it was a debt slave. They use the same word to describe someone who was like a debt slave. So if if you owed people, you know, money or resources or things like that, you were considered a slave. Um, And that's why Jesus was always about forgiving your, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's like one of the big things in the Lord's prayer that he taught us to pray. Uh, again, getting back to that common motif, that theme of forgiving right, and not being judging. Yeah. It's trespasses, right? Does it say debtors in another yeah. Lord's Prayer? Uh, but then you have like yeah, robbers. It depends on too. your translation. But yeah, oh. that, I was always taught forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Oh, really? Wow. I've always yeah. heard just forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And- Yeah, it'd be interesting to look that up, see what the original Hebrew was. I would bet it's around debt, though. So the Kephaliah Gnostica (laughs) is what will be coming out, um, like, uh, it's Evagrius's, uh, Evagrius the first, it's his scripture on uh, philosophy and apophatic mysticism, but he was a follower of Origen, who taught uh, very frequently that like we are made in his image yeah but we're we often like translate in his likeliness to like we're made in his image and his likeliness but he was hard on the topic of like we're supposed to 
to desire to want to be more like him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like um, we, I want to go back to this. It said that we were made in his character and it's been misinterpreted as his image. Yes. And so like Nomad brings up a lot um, that like we need to get closer to God or we need to get more to his perfect plan. He says this so many times and like it hit me like I was listening to something about Evagrius the first and about the Kevalaya Nostica coming out. And it was it hit me like a ton of bricks. That is what Origin was always preaching is like, yeah, we are made like in his image, but we're supposed to want to be more better or like better. Like we have to, to be better, you know, to be more like what that, that uh, it has been shown to us that we can be. So anyway, and they said that we're kind of Full like a shadow energy. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it uh, with the shadow thing. So when I dug into that verse in Hebrew, I think in this podcast, it was that was what I understood it to be is like a shadow of God, essentially, like the the shape of or whatever. Like if He's the light, we are sort of that uh, that shadow like, of. The oh light. my gosh! Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, that, that's cool. I know that goes way back to the beginning, but I'm re-listening. Obviously, it's coming out like every day now. So um, I wanted to add that. But I think that's important also as well, since the Kavalaya Nostica will be coming out. It's it's a translation um, by a few people, but uh, yeah. And if you go to the Aramaic, uh, when Jesus spoke of Abba, he actually was referring to Baba, which is considered the sacred mother goddess or mother earth. And they translated that to Abba, the heavenly father, yeah. to hide that fact. Yeah. But he was really referring to a female divine essence, which yeah. some people associate with mother nature. But the in Baba switch things like Baba to Abba because they have the same gematria. Well, the, because it's noetically the same. Yeah. So since since we're talking about Shem, Ham, and Japheth, I, I have this uh, hypothesis that uh, they split the lands into three. The north part was Japheth, the middle was Shem, and the lower was Ham. And that in the north, in Japheth, they worshipped Enlil, the sky god whatever you want to call him in any language but for me it's easier to go with the sumerian enlil and then in the south it was enki and then in the middle instead of a male deity it was actually a female goddess and that was inanna or ishtar and i think that's why a lot of the old like hebrew israelites uh, especially like tribe of Dan worshipped the female goddess and even like that connects later into the Templar and Freemasonry and how they kind of venerate a female goddess also in their worship and maybe that's more like Old Testament Judaism or whatnot before the, the new style came <clears throat> but it seems like 
Shem, um, that whole line worshipped a female deity at some point. Even the Sinai uh, Peninsula is associated with the moon, the moon god. And at one point it was a female deity before it became a male deity. So I think that maybe there's uh, something to that because there also like I think I, I forget what flags it is, but they also they usually have like a crescent moon flag um and like the the middle east areas i believe the arab nations and so i think uh everybody in in like kind of that shem region were worshiping a female deity and it makes me wonder if maybe shem was even uh a female uh and not actually a, a son uh but that's conjecture huh well shem shem she him shem uh, well right because she m right is it's in there too uh but also shem refers to uh in my opinion sha the sh or the sha refers to like light or sunlight uh because it's in like shamash who was the uh, sun god and then um it's also in like shumer which means the shining place and then it's also in like a bunch of other words with the sh it usually has like this shining aspect or glowing aspect or bright aspect or even like enlightened you could say and when you look at like the mother goddess and the greeks and sophia sophia was like um believed to be like this embodiment of knowledge and then that connects into like eve and the serpent and the snake and the serpent people being of shem and worshiping this female goddess so and this goddess bringing knowledge which to me like the garden of eden story is that the woman got the knowledge from the serpent and she's the one that passed it down onto her people so like these people were all the people of like eve's line or inanna if you want to go into the sumerian so these were like her people that worshiped her and the other two worshiped a sky god and underworld god yeah, I think that's a decent theory. Yeah, it's interesting where the moon goddess was changed to a moon god. And I know the Persians uh, worship a moon goddess still to this day. And their symbol, the the moon with the star inside of it, the, the moon crescent, the uh, represents the, the morning star, which is associated with Venus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say if like out of... <laughs> those three entities really resonate with me because i feel like we see those entities or that those depictions those symbols on the majority of our flags you have the eagle representing enlil mm -hmm. you have the serpent representing enki a lot of times they're like warring even mm -hmm. on the flags look at the mexico flag and then like you said ishtar all three are very prominent in our society today there's been a lot of rituals at the super bowl around ishtar um like uh anana what's my name that's like rihanna's main mm -hmm. song that she just performed at the super bowl the whole nip slip was uh, uh the star of ishtar um she had like a piercing or something so there's like this weird nip like ishtar symbology that we nip still sis. see to this day and then like you said yeah <laughs> that's a the wild week easter, easter um, is said to come from <clears throat> ishtar Exactly. Yeah, and also there's exactly. a connection too between sun and moon uh in like kind of uh the middle earth region where they c combine the sun and moon figure together 
uh, Oma says like they're bringing forth together the the, the goddess and the god together as one, uh, which is what they did a lot in Egypt. Uh, and I've, a lot of this comes from Egypt too. So uh, that's just kind of my idea of how it all came about because Dan, uh, the tribe of Dan later really like embodies a lot of this goddess worship type aspects and you see this mother goddess aspect in pretty much every religion and it's always usually associated with the same or like this child or daughter of and we were recently mm-hmm. talking to ralph ellis and he was telling us about cleopatra and how she was like into like the she was like venerated as being part of this isis cult and whatnot and then you also have like yeah, I remember when we were talking about the Epic of Gilgamesh, it said that they sent out uh, Hatshepsut, or was it Hatshepsut, or Shamat, Shamat, what was her freaking name? Uh, I wrote it down the other day. I know what you're talking about. Uh, Yeah, and and, but what did it say? It said that she was a high priestess of Ishtar, right? And they sent her out to Mm -hmm. tame Gilgamesh. And so I think you have a lot of this like mother goddess type stuff going on everywhere but it seems to be like eradicated from history and then that goes into like the templars and why they were killed on friday the 13th because fridays you know uh freya day the goddess day and then the 13 is the letter m sideways and it's the 13th letter in the alphabet mother mom maya it's all m so there's this idea of the reason why they killed the Templars on Friday the 13th was to get, um, to make it so people wouldn't worship the goddess anymore. Right. So what do you think if we're thinking that those entities were sort of ruling these regions and we see that sort of still to this day, going on in a lot of the flags and symbology and and rituals that they do. How do you think that, I guess, Jesus fits into that picture for you? Uh, Well, we're all talking to Ralph Ellis the other day. And so I mentioned Cleopatra and how she was part of the ISIS cult. And he believes that Cleopatra and Julius Caesar had a child together. And it was a female, uh, and this is why uh, the Romans uh, went and looked for Cleopatra, and supposedly they might have found her, uh, but they didn't kill her child. And I think, and he speculated that that was maybe because it was a female and it had no, um, uh, it, she couldn't have an heir to the throne in Rome because Rome was ruled by men, and there was no room for women in Rome. Uh, there's a show on Cleopatra on on Netflix. That I was just watching and kind of uh, trying to check out what Ralph Ellis was saying and watch the film. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting. He says that the, basically the granddaughter of Cleopatra, uh, was, her name was Thea Musa. So you have that Mu or Ma in there, Musa, uh, Thea. And she was also part of the Isis cult. And Thea Musa, he believes, was the Virgin Mary, and that her daughter was Mary Magdalene, and her son was Jesus. And they were part of this Immaculate Conception cult uh, that the um, Isis worshippers believed in. 
and they could uh we're actually going to be having some uh a lady on the show uh next week that's going to be talking about this i believe and another one um pretty soon too that's going to be talking more so about like the mary aspect of the immaculate conception i think the one that uh indy got she talks about more of like uh what's it called um inuit tribes doing this right oh she's talking about inca tribes oh inca not inuit i thought you said inuit before yeah so it seems to be like this thing that was going around and especially uh like if you believe in Lumeria or Mu or whatever uh some of like the lore behind that was uh kind of like this Amazonian type idea where they would um there would be women cults and they'd everything was more spiritual and these ruling classes you know and this idea so they impregnate themselves from their heart space into their yes yeah that's really cool is the one lady your guest? Is she? Do you know what she looks like? Is she an older lady with like gray hair? Completely gray hair. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I watched a show of her. It was awesome. Marguerite Rigogolosio. Rigogolosio. I think I'm saying her name wrong. Uh, that's one that we're gonna have in the future. Marguerite Rigogolosio. Yeah, but what's the other one? What's the other one, Indy, that we're doing uh next week? Maureen Wilson. Maureen Walton. 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 Maureen Walton. So there's obviously this idea of like immaculate conception and these types of ideas going on in the ancient world. Yeah. And so I kind of relate yep. that to the these female cults and these female ideas. So if Jesus was part of an immaculate conception, that means he would have been born uh, from kind of this ISIS cult type of philosophy. I implore so everyone that? to read the gospel of the infancy gospel of James. Um, it's part of Mary. the Nag Hammadi. Well, it, it's the gospel of Mary, but it's technically mm. it's called the infancy of James because um, they're, you know, Jesus had a twin brother in this story. So it's extremely interesting and very enlightening. And um, it, it makes a lot of connections for me and it made a lot of things make a little bit more sense in the fact that like okay this is what's going on here you know like it within the storyline does his brother's name um is he given a name uh judas thomas or something like that oh thomas. it's judas is no, it judas it's judas oh. uh, yeah yeah freddie silva said that that it was the same person possibly he also yeah. that person with Paul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't even want to get into Saul, Paul. But um, because <laughs> I've heard different things that, and I've had my own opinion about Paul because I've been taught, I've been uh, taught about Paul. He was one of the only non-Jewish writers and scribes that was allowed into the canon, right? Am I right, Nomad? I don't know. I could be wrong. They took away a lot of the other stuff from the canon that wasn't written by. Hold Saul. on. Well, they think he had a lot of stuff. Well, hold on. But what the the story that the, what they tell you is that Paul is recognized as 
the only one that is not a like Jew to be in the canon. Yeah. He was originally a Roman. Half Jewish. He was brought into. Right. So then they not only allowed him to have a read or a book, but they canonized it. So that's what made it so different. So when you get to him, um, it's either he's highly praised because he was picked or he was, you can go into different routes when it comes to him um, and you can think what you want. But one of the first signs of like, and it also says this somewhere, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nomad, but like, uh, did, I think Gary Wayne was speaking about like one of the first signs is that they're going to start calling him heretical um, towards the like yeah. end of times. So and I'm hearing a lot of that conversation, we've had a lot yeah. of those conversations in this podcast. So it was super interesting that he mentioned that because it was like a random yeah. thing that I've just started noticing. And then for him to mention yeah. that, it was like, whoa. <laughs> well, because first of all, more people are getting into scripture um, second of all, because more people want to know. I mean, even if it's just to know, I grew up in it and I taught it to other children, which I've said on here. Um, but yet I had no clue what I was saying. I have never gone through it the way that we are right now. So I also want to know what it says. Um, but but so when the thing about being brought up in it, though, you get ingrained certain things like hey, this is a special text because this is the only person who got to blah, 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 blah. You, if you just dive headfirst into it, you're going to be like, um, actually, no. Like, you know what I'm saying? So you got to toe the line on Paul. And it's kind of, it's, it's like, you, you don't really, it's not like you have to figure out Paul just yet. How about that? Right. Well, what's your opinion on him? Because I think it's very important conversation for me looking at his writings. First of all, he was like one of the most educated people there was. Right. And so for anybody to be able to translate from the Hebrew into Greek, he was kind of the guy to do that. Um, so it makes sense. And it also so you got to figure out, was he actually transformed or was like was his heart changed, or was he just a psyop? Was he controlled opposition? Right, that's kind of the question I think that we're getting at. Uh, for me, I think it was legit. I think his heart was changed, and he had an encounter with Christ. Now, people will say he was never, he never even physically met Christ. People will try to, you know, argue this. I don't know for sure. It's hard to say, um, but it doesn't really matter to me because I'm looking at the fruit of the writing. And so if he was the one who wrote down the fruit of the spirit, which for me is my whole thing, I've already said it on this podcast, the, the characteristic thing. Yes. of who I want to be, right? Like, cause I try to yeah. strip out all the programming and, and what I found that was left, I, I found it to be, to match up with that. And so that's kind of where I land at it is I think that his writings have made an impact for the better because it's kind of hard to argue with love, with joy, with peace, patience, It's the only way out, honestly, is to sit here and have these conversations with this eclectic group of people across the board um, and to be able to converse about it and to, I guess, let people hear what we have to say. But it's important to actually know who 
who was around during that century, the third century era and fourth century era, which we know is extremely rocky and extremely plagiarized when it comes to Christianity as it is anyway. And so you also have to be familiar with Paul's writings in general um, to even like have a conversation about it. And then you have to know like other things that back it up or that are cyclical behind the Bible. So for me to sit here and have a based opinion, like I, I feel like it's a very strong opinion to have, to be able to say, Hey, wake me up tomorrow and I'll have a different one. I don't know. I think it said that. that my line. I love that. It's, it's true. It said That's- that Paul, uh, kind of edited or orchestrated the the writings of the New Testament 30 years after Christ had passed. Well, here's the deal. We know all of the uh, new, everything's been edited. We know that. That's why even going through, gen, they even edited pagan text out of text that they're supposed to be demonizing pagans because we found that out ourselves by going through it and they would just, write a verse and because it had to have so many verses they would just like repeat it repeat it repeat you know what i mean just be like uh and you know we'd be like i wonder what was actually supposed to be there you know but like so we know that they edited text but it had to be in a certain it was like a hexa hexa there's a certain specific word for it for when the way that you read it so they figure it out and somewhere in the fourth fifth fifth century of our common era. I don't know when, because 40 years has been edited somewhere. Um, that if you write in a hexad dialectic, it's where you say That's things true. and you, it, 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 there's a specific word for it, but obviously it's, you know, it's hex is the general format of it. But um, these writers knew that if you wrote that way, it would actually manifest something in your brain. You'd have a physical emotion come out of you after reading it. So that's what they were trying to invoke was an essence of some sort. So to even know that is like crucial when you're reading any um, text that has to do with any type of spirituality and who actually wrote it. because. They had editors that were like Nietzsche had his hand somewhere in it, you know, like you, you know, these people had their hands in the, these newer things. So, but was it for, did they have their heart changed? I don't know. Hopefully, I don't know. Because they set up structure by the myth of Ur due to like some form of like some some type of government that came from some foreign place that will not and can never not work here that they keep trying to reform. Yeah, Nietzsche was said to have been the father of atheism and said that God is dead. But Francis Bacon was said to have edited the uh, or created the King James Bible from the Latin or Greek. Probably okay, from- so it's King... 
Francis Bacon is only known for two. He's only done ever two things ever in his life that's like ever written down. But therefore, but you still like if you say the name Francis Bacon, you know who he is. So, but like, is Francis Bacon really even Francis Bacon, or is that a pseudograph as well that many people Bacon. have also written Bacon. under? Some people think that Shakespeare was Francis Francis Bacon. Exactly. So the, you've got like pseudographs off on pseudographs on text on written text on edited text on. Then you have these uh, treatises, and then you have these texts written back from like Origen to Clementine. But what's really going on in these conversational texts with these philosophers are these newer philosophers trying to, which is what we do today, put our opinion on something that someone's already done. So like Origen was back in the first century, okay, or before that because it's been edited right so he's at the beginning that's probably why his followers and his cult name is origin right um he literally wrote because after noah we got letters and stuff right didn't we were all able to write or something has something happened where everyone was able to like write down their own shit no and, if they were all that was left if they were all that was left, uh, if we go by that theory, then everything, every they would have all been speaking the same language, right? Uh, and so everything from that point on, they would have been more unified. And then that's what leads up to the Tower of Babel, yeah. And when the printing press was made, they started to write in the vernaculars instead of just Latin. So then they well, started- Latin is like a joke. Latin is supposed to be like, Latin is not hard. And Latin is just like a soup. It's like not even, it says like- Latin is almost dead because they used it to it's strictly for these these mystical purposes. You know what I mean? Like Latin is for this. It's to make words science. and turn them backwards. Latin is a is a specific science, yes. Well, all I'm saying no, is like these things that we take terms. Yeah. The things that yes, and to name pl- plants and animals, they mm-hmm. use Latin. Mm-hmm. Um so, but like these treatises will go back and like go back to like first century people back like and forth. They're not like letters back and forth. They're just opinions fucking seven centuries later. It'd be like us finding an ancient text and then someone publishing it, which is what's going to happen because that's what, what happens. People translate it and publish it, right? But then you are the, the author of whatever happens. You can that's do whatever what, you yeah. want. The story That's of I think it's was likely have been translated from the Yanume Elish when they speak of right. God flowing onto the waters and the breath of God. It's supposed to refer to things of the Yanume Elish, which there were six tablets and then a seventh tablet of review. And so those are the six days and the seventh day of rest. Mm. And it said that the breath was actually the moons that were swept up by the dark star that crushed the morning star that hurled the upper waters to create the earth, to merge with what was the earth, to create the earth of today. And it's said to be a story of the creation of the solar system that's been translated into the Hebrew. And so it's very obscure when we read Genesis in the Old Testament. What are they referring to? What do these terms mean? But in the Enuma Elish, it's very clear that they're referring to astrological and astronomical events. 
Most definitely. They were Zoroastrian. They were Zoroastrian. So they did believe in that. That's what they worshipped. But they didn't want you to worship that because then it was classism. They had classes made after they split. Remember, we decided they they split into three subgroups like the Syrian after the first crusade, you know, like um, in the Aleppo Codex. So then they arranged marriages throughout those three Shem, Ham, and Japheth families or whatever. Yeah. So that's what happened. And uh, there's certain things that happened in the New Testament when Paul wrote the New Testament after the fact, uh, Jesus not having written anything. Um, they say that there's a big controversy over whether Jesus was actually crucified or whether it was part of a narrative of Paul to inspire an emotional response from the people in associating wow prophecy of the messiah but but they translated particularly when they said should we assassinate should we execute jesus and crucify him or should we uh crucify barabbas Barabbas. and the people were saying uh jesus 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 but actually what the translation was from is that apparently historically what they were saying was who should we free should we free jesus or should we free barabbas and they said, Jesus, 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 free him because he had not actually committed a crime in Hebrew law. Well, they were actually both exiled. named Jesus. He was exiled to Kashmir, mm-hmm. where his tomb is there in the shrine of Rose Ball as Esau. Yes. So, so one both. was Jesus of Nazareth and one was Jesus Barabbas. They were like right. the opposites. So you have Jesus who was more peaceful and Barabbas, who was the rebel who wanted to take over and change things uh, in more of a violent manner, for where Jesus was saying to turn the other cheek, right? And so, yeah, it's possible that maybe that got changed. Uh, how would you say that that has affected your life or what you gain from the story if that was if that was? I think changed? it's an important factor that they've said that Jesus was crucified because before the times of Jesus, people had to uh, sacrifice an animal to atone for their sins. So since right. they say that Jesus has atoned for our sins by his sacrifice, we no longer have to sacrifice an animal every time we commit a transgression. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge step forward for humanity. But people still like, murder. So you're, so you're saying Paul, my, Paul made it up, but it was a good thing? Is that what you're yeah, saying? I think so. Okay. <laughs> can we just, oh, can we just remember like one thing about <laughs> Paul, disagree. though? Like, Paul did something that I think everybody including myself just completely missed over when jesus died on the cross and then was resurrected and left mary in charge with ever not left her in charge but told mary everything and mary was telling everyone all of the 12 apostles she was like well you know whatever here's what we're going to do. And everyone was like, Oh, fuck, hell no, you're a woman. And Paul was the only one, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be completely wrong, who said, why should we not believe her? That he loved her more than he loved us. And he loved her in a different way than he loved us. Clearly. Why should we not believe what she says? So right. 
Yeah, she was the first person that Jesus like gave an assignment after resurrecting, and yeah. he said, "Go tell people about me." And people still think that uh, women aren't supposed to like preach or talk. <laughs> it's like what? Yeah, like it doesn't make any sense if you actually read the Bible. I want to comment on two things here, and and one is the Jesus and Jesus Barabbas, Barabbas, whatever. Uh, <laughs> when we were reading in Gilgamesh. I felt like that whole story of Gilgamesh was a story of like a hero's journey, but in reverse, uh, because Gilgamesh, uh, Enkidu was his like physical self, I believe. And Gilgamesh was his like ego. And when he killed his physical self, he actually started to like crumble. He still had his ego about him, but he could no longer, he, he lost his will to live. And so, I I think in a lot of these stories we see like this idea of of ego and and self and uh even like in like uh some of these secret mystery schools and stuff it's all about like losing your ego uh so that way you can discover yourself and all of these like uh rituals that they would do and you know even with mushroom rituals and shit like that there's always this like losing your yourself to or losing your ego to gain knowledge of yourself to reach enlightenment born again yeah and and so so my thing is is like is jesus barabbas uh the self and jesus the ego and the ego is what got crucified but the self was what was left to reach enlightenment i love that well, yeah. I think that I think his story definitely resonates on many levels. Like, I think there is a historical part of it, and I think there is an alchemical part of it, uh, more of a spiritual side of it. I think that everything he did was an example of how to live better, and so I think that 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 story by nature is showing us that journey because it it lives within us all. We all have that story uh, to some extent, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, and the, you can't kill your ego. Do not kill your ego. What are you if you don't have some form of yourself? Yeah, I think like, you're supposed to live with it and like you have to have balance. your ego. It's and what holds you, you like here. Have it. Yeah, it you're gonna be a robot or you're gonna be easily controlled back into communism. But that's what they want. So no. Well, that's, that's how ego, they ego. were. You you have to have some of it, but just don't let it control yeah. you. You yeah. know what I mean? Go ahead and it's like don't kill it. If you if everyone kills their ego, then like I just feel sorry for this planet. Yeah, that's such absolutist thinking. You want to be able to let your ego take the passenger seat as your spiritual self comes into the driver's seat and carry it along with you and lead your ego instead of your ego leading you. Yeah, ego, right. my ego. Yeah. Ego, yeah, my ego. Well said. Um, <laughs> And another thing I wanted to bring up was uh, that you, uh, Indy, uh, said that like you think that by Christ dying as a sacrifice uh, improved humanity. Uh, I, I, just to play devil's advocate with you about that is, I I don't I think that gave people uh, the the illusion, the ability to sin freely. Uh, with without responsibility, without like having a sacrifice to realize like they're they're killing something, and that sacrifice had to be made. 
I, I think after a while that has become lost on humanity and we no longer uh, like take that into consideration. And now we just consume everything that we possibly can instead of thinking about where it came from. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel that, you know, like there was more of a consequence to sin and transgression before Jesus. Now they can just say, oh, he forgives me or I ask for forgiveness. Right. So everything's fine. You don't have to commit an act like sacrifice something, for example. And so that's more of a deterrent. You don't want to have to sacrifice anything. I think but now that you don't have it, so it's easier. Yeah. Well, I think I even think like we're Lent, right? Lent is where you're supposed to sacrifice something that you like or care about and give it up for 40 days to teach you like that idea of what like an actual sacrifice is or because it's harder it makes it hard for your life to live so that way you appreciate things more and so when when you're not sacrificing an animal and, and this person did this for you you're no longer appreciating the life that you live anymore unless you're a follower of jesus and you believe wholeheartedly in these things but uh because this is like so far removed from, I think, you know, 2000 years ago, it's, I think it's hard for people to connect back to that and realize some of these like animal instincts that we have, or these kind of inherent, uh, what's it? Yeah. Instinct, these inherent instincts that we have as human beings, uh, kind of get lost. That's true. They can be covered up easily and just kind of swept under the rug and people can continue on in their transgressive ways and then continue to seek forgiveness mm -hmm. as if the that's what you're supposed to do and that's just that i see that in its worst sometimes that's how people just justify sinful behavior or transgressive lifestyles just, it yeah. comes back to them though and that's the beautiful part about it even if you do apologize and you're like oh i'm sorry i'm sorry the point about it is to turn around and to not do it again because if if you say you're sorry and you repeat your behavior it really just cancels out your sorry yeah mm -hmm. how sorry are you do you do something well, you're not um that's the whole point of re repenting is to turn away like that's all that's how i was taught is to like say you're sorry and then do a 180 degree turn you know like afterwards like don't ever go back to what you just said you were sorry for unless you actually are going to turn away from it and don't do it again but should we still have grace if we fail and would you say that there is um a difference between having the intention to be better and not fully allowing your physical body your ego to it, it takes so it's a process for it to get to where your intent is if that makes sense so like uh, people who are struggling with alcoholism or drugs and they want to get sober they have that intention they want to but sometimes there's a physical a physicality to it and where it takes a while it's a process right it's the a hero's journey it's for a reason it's not as easy as just flipping a switch all the time um and so I think that that's why we need grace. That's why we need a savior. We need something that's a little bit, um, I guess, I guess for me, that's just how I found to live my life is I have a lot more peace when I give that grace to others, even if they're doing the same thing to me over and over again, I, I try to forgive and have grace and move on. Cause that's what I would want. 
Uh, I know that I have the most positive intentions, but I don't always act perfectly. And so I think in order for that system to work, if you always felt condemned, uh, it would be hard to move on. And to, you know, you could get stuck in that spiral of like, oh, I'm never going to be perfect. So I'm just going to give up. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, you can, that. you have to take steps. And when you have faith, that's one thing, but you get grace from taking steps towards your faith. Yeah. Faith without works is dead, says clearly dead. in the Bible. Yes. It's like, that is like imprinted on my brain. Faith without works is dead. But it also gets um, returned back to you tenfold. Does that make right. sense? If you yeah. allow grace for someone, you will get that grace back because we are human. We're going to need grace, obviously. But not only do you get it back, but you get it back tenfold and probably 70 times seven times blah, 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 all the math <laughs> we did earlier. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> PK, totally. how you, you doing guys. over there, I'm man? Get yeah. Good. <laughs> Listen to y'all. It's good. All right. Cool. Cool. Um. Well, yeah. Uh, we've been going for a while now. I, I, I really enjoyed this chat after the Bible talk. That was great. Uh, after we read chapter 10, we kind of we kind of went all out there for a while. I love it. Uh, good stuff right there, though. You know what I mean? Uh, it's good to to get deeper, read, read a little bit, and then like it starts to just flow out of you. Uh, right, oh, Morgan? Shit. Like Morgan was on fire tonight. She was going yeah. hard. She's usually a little quiet and a couple things, hair. but now she's just like, whoop, like a whirlwind. Elijah would be proud. <laughs> I'll leave my thoughts to myself, but thank you for that comment. And I appreciate that because this this used to scare me. So if anyone out here is listening and is really scared, don't be scared because it's actually like it. I look forward right. to our fellowship on Friday nights and I'm really grateful for all of you for being here um, right now fellowshipping, but I got to get out of here. You can find me at the Morgan B underscore. I love you guys all very much. Thank you. And I will see you next Friday. Love you. Peace. Bye. Bye. All right. We got rid of the woman. Now we can have fun. Just the boys. <laughs> just the boys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um. So yeah, did uh, anybody have anything else to add? Any final comments or final thoughts uh, before we uh, get out of here? No, I have some more on the etymology of some of the names, but I think we can just do a quick recap next week uh, and go over that ending of the chapter before we go into the next one again. All right, cool, man. Uh, thanks, PK, for joining us again, man. Appreciate it. Uh, I think it's cool that you are even reached out and was like, hey, can I join in again? I know it's Friday. Let me in. <laughs> let me in. Knocking at the door. That's cool. We love that. Uh, um it's cool to see people interested in, in what we're doing and having these conversations with us. So thank you. Uh, yeah. For, uh, thank being you. Interested and in, in joining us and having conversation. Appreciate it. I love Thanks. the alchemical uh, process knowledge that you bring to it. I think that's sort of a component that we haven't touched on as much. So it's, it's great having those chats. 
Thanks. I, I really appreciate y'all being so open, you know, and having me here. So I almost, to be honest, I almost didn't reach out because Genesis chapter 10 is like one of the hardest. Because <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> all this begot, begot, begot. It's just like, all right, what, what am I going to do with this? You know, so I almost was just like, ah, maybe next Friday, but whatever. Yeah. I really enjoyed last time. So glad, glad I got to do it again. Yeah, yeah, for joining us. Thanks, Kabbalistic man. tip. Well, appreciate that, PK. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it's great. It's there's ten ways of look. You know, so many ways to look at the Bible. And and when I say it's like the key or whatever, I'm not putting down the other, you know, translations. That's that's why this is so right. fun. I think it's just one very cool way to look at the Bible, though, is through this like alchemy. That's what that's what gets me going at least. Yeah, go, looking at it through alchemy, Kabbalah uh, type stuff is is pretty cool. I, yeah, if we can get say, our hands. Uh, that would be some mind blowing stuff. Very different, Aramaic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Don't don't be That'd afraid be cool. to get deep either, man. Uh, when you talk about that stuff, like let us have it. Talk about it. Like bring it up. Uh, tell us. A, get into the details you know that's where all the juice is at so don't feel like you can't talk a lot uh talk as much as you need to and, and get your point across uh because that's what we're all here to do is learn and some of the stuff that you might be talking about some of us might not have heard of and definitely some of the people listening might not have heard of too so uh let us have it yeah don't be uh don't be shy about it at all. Right, man. right on. Yeah. Appreciate, appreciate that. Maybe next week with uh, uh not just all begot <laughs> all these names. Begot, begot, know, this, begot. This Maybe part, they'll, yeah. they'll be a little bit more. I think the next yeah, three if we're chapters going on are tangents. like that. <laughs> if we're are going on really? tangents, there's a, a reaction. You can raise your hand and we'll make sure to get to you. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, right yeah, on. You can do that appreciate too. it, guys. You guys yeah, I think awesome. the next few chapters go into more about who begot who, and then until you get to uh, Jacob and Esau, and then it starts like the uh, Jacob and Esau story, and then it gets more into that, and then Jacob's Let's pillar. Let's talk about Nimrod. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we can always break off Nimrod and, uh, and babble. Do some other stuff, <laughs> too. Uh, uh, Morgan and I just talked about egypt and egypt the osiris and um isis myth and the story of set and horus and egypt and that was actually really really fascinating uh to get into that like the idea um i kind of i learned some different stuff that i'd never heard of before when i did that so i mean we do we have got into genesis we have got into gilgamesh and we have got into enoch and so, uh, you know, if if you have anything too that you want to get into, uh, bring it up. We can take a little uh, break from actual Genesis and get into like some uh, side little side quest action. Uh, it's always good too, and gives some perspective and breaks up the monotony a little bit, you know. Uh, so, thanks for joining us, PK and Indy. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate you jumping on the, on the show. show. Hey, this is my first ebb and flow. Ebbs and flow. This is a great show, man. Thank you. I yeah. love it. We get down I around here. And some Nimrod next time. Always fascinated about Horus. 
And, you know, we get the 12 hours of the day and the night from Horace taking the 12 steps across the sky in the day and across the sky in the night. And they say hours comes etymologically from Horace. I love all that stuff. Osiris, Isis, Horace, all the biblical stuff, hermetic. Yeah. Kabbalistic. It's (laughs) also amazing. I'd be glad to come back on the show and uh help you guys go through some more genesis you guys can find me uh at my wordpress vibe tribe scribe dot wordpress.com or check me out as indie sage on facebook i-n-d-y-s-a-g-e indie sage thanks y'all excellent nomad thanks buddy yeah thank Love you guys you. uh indie is awesome chatting with you pk thanks again uh, you guys can find me at my website. It's nomad.art, G-N-O-M-A-D.art. It's got my music, my podcast, my videos, my merch, all, all that. Please reach out. I love to get people's opinions and talk about these things. So if you have comments on what we're talking about, please hit me up. And for those of you that don't know, Indy uh, made the logo, or not Indy, sorry. Nomad made the logo for the show, and also those are his tracks that you can hear at the intro and outro to the show. So give him some props. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Nomad, for all that you do for us around here. We appreciate it, sir. And uh, thank you again, Andy, and thanks again, PK. Uh, To everybody out there, have a good night. Love y'all. Love y'all. Peace. I'm regenerating, raising my vibration. Curses ending with my generation. Blessings raining, it's a celebration. Go and tell the nation, we're all saved by grace. And I know I ain't boasting, I best up in my ways, man. I'm regenerating, raising my vibration. Curses ending with my generation. Blessings raining, it's a celebration. Go and tell the nation, we're all saved by grace. And I know I ain't boasting, I best stuck in my ways, man. I've been stuck in my ways. How many days before it's no longer a face? God keep giving me grace. I'm giving them thanks, I'm giving them praise. Giving them thanks, I'm giving them praise. I've been stuck in my ways How many days before it's no longer a face God giving me grace I'm giving them praise, giving them thanks Giving them praise, I'm giving them thanks I've been stuck in my ways How many days before it's no longer a face God giving me grace I'm giving them praise, giving them thanks Giving them praise, I'm giving them thanks